when you, when you acknowledge that you're not the big guys, it forces you to do a couple things. The first thing it does is it forces you to really double down on the things that you're good at. And so you really have to look at yourself, have an honest conversation and say, well, what are we good at? And what I realized is that Rackspace, you know, the military, all of the things that we have, cybersecurity, all the things that San Antonio has, I really call it the plumbing of the internet. Like that's what we're, that's what we're famous for. But that's not really sexy. But you know what is sexy? Being number one. Welcome back, everybody, to another edition of the Started Up Podcast. Today, I have on author and entrepreneur Lorenzo Gomez. Lorenzo is the author of the book, The Cilantro Diaries. He is also the co-founder and CEO of Geekdom, a co-working space in San Antonio, Texas. One of the most important things is, is that Lorenzo is one of those guys that has a success story that just needs to be heard. Ironically enough, he was a guest recommendation from a former guest, so thank you, JT McCormick. And uh, if you listen to the JT McCormick episode, you can literally hear uh, the similarities in mindset and work ethic in, in Lorenzo. Uh, by the way, shameless plug, if you haven't, as soon as this episode's over, go back and listen to the JT McCormick episode. Uh, other than that, like this was a breath of fresh air. Uh, his, just the way the guy has worked and the way he's been able to leverage opportunity after opportunity is one that should be looked at. Most importantly, he also is a guy that gives back. So if you uh, listen to the end of the podcast, he gives away all of his social media contacts. So I'd recommend reaching out to him if you feel so compelled. So not going to waste any more of your time. going to get right to it. Here you go, Lorenzo Gomez. All right. Now I'm joined with Lorenzo Gomez the third. He is from San Antonio, Texas, and I am excited to interview you today. Thank you, Lorenzo, for being on. Man, thanks for having me, Don. I'm I'm super excited to be here. Your journey and your story is is among my favorites. So let's jump right into it. Um, and 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 just you know the whole cilantro diaries uh, thing. Let's let's go back to the origin stories of that. Yeah, yeah, happy to. Uh, so I so you know we met through Scribe, who uh, was really the company that helped me um, you know bring that book into the universe. But it was really uh, it was my attempt to. I wanted to put all the all the things that I that I messed up in my career uh, in a book, and then all the things that went right, um, really for a young audience. But I was I kind of had my nephews in mind. I had a nephew that had ju- just joined the Navy about you know a year and a half ago, and a couple other nephews that are about to get in the workforce. And it was kind of my hey. Uh, also, I think there was a lot of uncle guilt because <laughs> I haven't been a very good uncle, and it was it was my attempt to say anything I did. Uh, that was my own idea was just a total train wreck. And anything I did that worked was because someone smarter than me said, Hey, you should probably consider doing it that way. And so the cilantro diaries was, is really kind of my, all of the lessons that I think really helped me in my early years, the early years of my career. But I think that, I think what, what I have found that people like about it is that there's a lot of uh, grocery store stories, you know, stories when I was kind of a receptionist um, and so I think they're very relatable and some of them are, some of them I think are pretty humorous. Um, and so I, I wanted to find the, the most relatable story for each principle that I had in the book. And so, um, so we published it about, uh, two years ago, uh, actually about a year and a half ago, and it's done very well since, which really shocked me because I thought my mom was going to buy the only 10 copies. I enjoy though, the fact that, um, you kind of wrote this in, in, with that in mind, because like, 
you know, just seeing your picture above, you know, the, the, the produce, uh, like, the, like, well, actually you explain that. I, I kind of like that story. Yeah. So, so the title, the, you know, so the book's called the cilantro diaries and the title of it came from, uh, you know, I, I, the first kind of big promotion, you know, of my, of my early career was I was, I was working at this in, in Texas, there's a big grocery chain called HEB and uh, everybody, everybody from my neighborhood wanted to work there. Cause it's, it's the, you know, it's, it's the place to work. And, uh, you know, I was a bagger and then I got promoted to cashier. But what I really wanted was to be in the produce department because that was like the basketball team. And uh, and all those guys were just cool, or at least I just thought they were cool. And so I, I finally got promoted into produce. And I just thought, you know, it was my first uh, it was my fr- first brush with arrogance. I, you know, my, my head got so big I couldn't fit in the door. And um, so I'm working in produce my mom was so proud of me. And so she came home one day, I was, I was at the dinner table doing my homework because I was still in high school and she was so excited. And she was like, Oh my God, me, I was at HEB uh, number five, which is my store number. Um, and I was in the produce department and I was, I was buying some stuff and I turned, you know, down this one, one hallway and boom, there I saw, I, there it was, I saw your picture above the cilantro. And I was like, what? And she, and she would just follow it up with a, an immediate, I'm so proud of you. And I just felt so embarrassed. And I had forgotten that they had taken our pictures of all the produce reps and put them up so that customers could ask for help by name. Like, hey, Lorenzo, can you help me? And, uh, and, and, I, and, and I felt really ashamed because I didn't know why I was embarrassed, but I realized that I didn't want her to be proud of me just because my picture was above the cilantro. Like I wanted to do something worthy of having my picture up there. And so I kind of had this secret vow where I was like, I'm not going out like that. Like the pinnacle of my career is not having my picture above the cilantro for no reason. And so, uh, and so when I, when I started working at Rackspace, which was the, 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 the job that really changed my career and changed my life. Um, and it started in San Antonio. And so I, I would tell this story to, a bunch of my coworkers and they just really loved it. And one of them uh, started calling them my cilantro stories. And that's kind of how I came up with the name of the book. Okay. So I love that. Especially, it, I have to ask, was it at least a decent headshot of you? Above? Oh, it was horrible. I mean, I mean, no one, you know, you're, you're in produce, you know, you're, you're, you know, I'm sure I had just, my hand had like gone through 10 rotten tomatoes and like, you know, you're nothing. And also I was in high school. I, I weighed, you know, like 90 pounds. I had not grown into my ears yet. I mean, this just, you know, nothing about a produce headshot is going to be, you know, nothing about it you want to put on your Tinder or Bumble profile today. Okay, right, you. right. But so, but then, you know, what, what then happened from the leap to uh, teenage, um, you know, produce manager to rack space? That's a big jump. Yeah, well, I think so. One, one of the first principles in the book um, that I, that I talk about um, and I think that is really, I've gotten so many feedback, so much feedback from young people on it, is that I, I kind of explain how everybody needs, especially young people, a, to start building what I call a personal board of directors. And I realized in hindsight that I had one or two people as a young guy that I had kind of recruited to my personal board um, unknowingly. And I didn't call it that back then, but everything that happened to me was because of the people and relationships that I had created. And so, you know, when I, when I was in high school, I met a dear, you know, he's my best friend to this day. His name's Dax Moreno. And he worked at another grocery store, same, same company, but a different uh, store. And he called me one day and said, Hey man, I'm working at this 
crazy computer place that you've never heard of called Gateway Computers, and uh, you should come work here. And I was like, man, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard. You know, come on, computers. You know, where there's no future in computers. And do you realize how fresh the cilantro is this season? Like, I'm not going to believe that. And he, you know, he really uh, basically pitched me and, and sold me and said, you're being an idiot. You need to come work here. And so finally he convinced me. And then we met another guy at Gateway that was the first kind of professional sales rep that we had ever met. And he left Gateway and became one of the first sales reps at Rackspace. And he brought me, I was the second guy he brought over. And then we brought over like another 10 guys. It was a whole posse. But it was this notion that, you know, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And what you know really matters after the who. And I think so many people neglect the relationship part of, uh, not, not growing up, but, you know, you need to start cultivating relationships as soon as you can, because it is its own currency. And I just realized that I was the recipient of this currency that I didn't know I was trading on. Uh, but all of these jobs I got were because of it. I, okay. Stop right there. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, and, and it's funny because, you know, here, and I guess we kind of s- skated around it. it. We we had met each other through JT McCormick and, and JT had that same mindset. Matter of fact, I, I told you just before we, we aired, but, um, JT was even like, he came out to visit my students. And that was also one of the things that he said, he's like, look at your age, getting to know people, uh, is huge, but they only want to know you if you're doing something. Right. And, and he, and he went through, he's like, he says, you know, if you took everything away from me right now, and he says, and you forced me to be at McDonald's, I'd be the regional manager and here's how I do it. And he walked <laughs> through how he would a, outperform everybody, but then also make sure that he curated the relationships with the, with the higher ups and that he'd be asking for uh, more um, accountability yeah, responsibilities. For more responsibilities. And, and so, yeah, like, cause I'm begging my students and anyone listening right now, like, it, like, no offense to, to Twitter or Instagram. If I'm 15 years old, I'm doing something interesting and throwing that thing up on LinkedIn. Yes. Because, yes. you know, if, if you're, if, if you're doing duck face selfies and, 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 <laughs> and doing Tide Pod challenges, I mean, okay, you're every other kid. But if you're on LinkedIn and you're working on a, a, a project of some sort, now you're going to build that community of people that like, hey, kid, or, or, or quite frankly, you know, attracting the person that they said, I wish I, I had gotten that start that early. And you kind yeah. of build that. Well, also, I think that the, the, the great point about JT story, which I love is that, you know, I, I think that JT and I have kind of a similar background. And I think that there are a lot of people out there where if you grow up, if you, if you don't have, you know, if your family isn't prestigious or if you don't have money or if you don't have uh, skills, when you're a young person, you don't have anything that the world values. Right. If you don't have if you don't have a, a, a really hardline skill set, if you don't have a Rolodex, the world doesn't value these things. And so all you have is the reputation and the network that you build from scratch. And uh, and that's really how you can force your way into the career world. And, you know, in the in my book, I talk about the very first job I got was at a subpar grocery store to the one that I really wanted to work at. And, you know, I just turned 16. I applied everywhere and no one would call me. I mean, I, I want I, I would have happily worked at McDonald's, Burger King or Pizza Hut, but no one would call me. And my mom said, Hey, your brother Hector worked at this other grocery store and they really loved him. Why don't you apply there? So they gave me an interview 
because my brother was such a was such a hard worker. And I walked in, and this is you know this story is my one of my favorites because I was so desperate for a job. I didn't never done an interview, and I showed up to this interview, and I had brought all of my report cards and like attendance awards from like middle school and high school, like to show them, you know, I was a good guy. And, uh, and it didn't matter. The, the, the manager walked up to me and the interview went like this. So you're Hector Gomez's brother, huh? Yes, sir. Do you work hard like your brother? Yes, sir. Okay. You're hired. You start in, you start in two weeks. Wow. And, and what I, what I always tell kids is I go, let me ask you a question. I got a job based on my brother's currency. He had this super high currency because he was a hard worker. And so the question I have for you is, is there anyone that would put their reputation on the line for you? And the other question I have is, if someone said, you're a hard worker, we want to hire someone you recommend, who would you put your name on the line for? Because now you're going to dish out your currency for someone else. And these are things that I just didn't realize until I got in it. Yeah, and so I'm, I'm like waiting my turn because I'm busting here. <laughs> Here's the thing that excites me, though, is that your lack of currency, your lack of uh, prestige at the beginning is your key because exactly. people don't see it. And like, you know, not quoting Drake, but when you start from the bottom, now you're here. That's a cool, like people yeah. don't like, like, yeah, my dad's the CEO of, and I drive a Porsche. Oh, screw you. <laughs> right. We don't like, we don't like, I mean, I shouldn't say that. Like, no, no, but, but you we don't, like, we don't normally like that people. And so when you come from nothing and you start, you have tugged on heartstrings. And this is why I'm like any 15 year old right now, if they're just like, I'm, like I'm above this, uh, you know. I, I want. I want to do. I'm not going to be everybody else. I want to do. Uh, 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 that is gold, my friend. And matter of fact, the, the class we have, I think, like use, like you used your brother's social currency to get that. I tell the kids, I'm like, use this class as social currency. Exactly. I mean, I mean, not humble brag, but the class has been featured in a lot of, a lot of outlets right and so when yeah. you tell somebody like hey i've got a class where i'm literally giving class time to connect with people like you no, that's right like these people are like are you serious like yeah mr wetrick wanted me to work with people that are successful and learn from them and you're successful and i want to learn from you hell you're just feeding to their ego and and if they truly are if they truly are successful they'll like, like want to help and and yeah. so I, I I love that story. And I just, I like the cilantro diaries in the sense that these insights you, you've you obtained are insights because A, you reflected. And I think that's among the most important things. When people, like I am, I am in 2019, I am so doubling down on reflecting every night. But these lessons along the way, like, okay, this guy, this lesson, you, you, you wrote these things down and you all of a sudden start making the connections with these insights and then and then you put them to the test and i think that that's so incredibly important um get a shift now yeah. <clears throat> you 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 know you you go to rackspace you start you know rising the ranks what all of a sudden made you want to start geekdom well actually explain i guess you can explain what geekdom is but what made you want to start a co-working space so um i you know um along my rackspace journey I was, uh, you know, if you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's uh, Outliers. You know, he talks about the 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 things that just kind of happen that you have no control over. You know, the year that Bill Gates was born and things like yeah. that. You know, and one of those outlier things that happened to me was 
I started Rackspace in 2001. I was 20 years old. I had no college degree. Um, but if I'd have been in college, I wouldn't have been at Rackspace. And so it was kind of, I just took a path. Well, it just so happened that the year I started was the year our chairman and founder and the owner of the company uh, didn't want to be in an office. He wanted to be where the action was. And so I had the only open cube because we were in cubes of two. And so I shared a cubicle with the, with the owner, Graham Weston. And that, that, you know, couple of months of being his cube mate changed my life because I got to know this guy. He was so humble. He was one of those guys that wanted to know everything about you, um, that really cared about the company, cared about customers, cared about people. And so many, many years later, he asked me to run his private foundation, the 8020 foundation. And, uh, and I, I wasn't looking for, I didn't, I wasn't interviewing for the job. I, I wasn't trying to run his foundation. He just asked me and it was, I was, it was so, I was so honored um, to, to take it. And so I joined the 8020 foundation. And at the same time I was creating the foundation for him, he and another gentleman named Nick Longo created Geekdom. And Nick Longo is one of the original gangsters of the internet. He created one of the first HTML editors um, uh, online. And he was in, in the company, he had sold his company. He was working in Rackspace. And so Graham had this huge vision for entrepreneurship in downtown San Antonio. And I didn't know it, but I was already working on his grand vision. And he and Nick Longo were working on the co-working space. And they went all over the country um, seeing and, and touring co-working spaces. And about two years in, once it got started and it was just really going well, uh, Nick Longo retired because he had been commuting from Corpus Christi, which is about a three-hour drive every week from San Antonio. And so around that time, Graham said, hey, will you step in and run Geek Them in addition to the foundation? And it was one of those, in quotation marks, temporary gigs for me to run two uh, organizations. And it ended up being a five-year temporary gig. Uh, and so I ran uh, Geekdom uh, for several years up until recently when I hired a CEO to, to take it over. Um, but what really happened is I figured out that, that Graham had this vision for creating an actual tech scene in downtown San Antonio. And he was using this amazing co-working space. It was the kind of the first, first one in San Antonio ever of its kind and a foundation. He was using co-working, philanthropy, and real estate as his way to kickstart a texting, because those are the things that he knew about. And, uh, and I was very skeptical when he asked me to run Geekdom and I thought, man, this thing will never work there. You know, any tech people in San Antonio, Rackspace has already poached them. And man, one of the big themes of my career is always being wrong. And holy moly, we, I got to Geekdom and just people just started showing up in droves and they just haven't stopped because there was this, pent up desire for like-minded people to be in community together. Who would have thought? And, and, and ever since then, we've just doubled down on the idea. That's cool. I, one, I love the fact that, you know, you're, you, you got put in these positions because of your previous work and your reputation. And all of a sudden, I, I love the story of people that become overnight successes out of setting a foundation of 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I love yeah. that. Uh, the other unique thing is, is that um, we share something in common. I'm from a, boy, I hate to say this, and people from Indianapolis are going to say, hey, don't say that. I'm from, a, I'm in a second tier city. Yeah. We're not, yeah. We're not Indianapolis. We're not San Francisco. I mean, we're not New York. We're not uh, San Francisco. Um, but we're, we're cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know what, I don't think there's anything wrong with that, Don. I mean, I love it because I think that to me, I think that if, 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 if we in San Antonio kid ourselves and compare ourselves to 
you know, Chicago and New York and San Francisco, we are kidding ourselves and we are setting ourselves up for failure because the, the tactics and things that work there won't work because it's just a different environment. And so I, I wear the tier two San Antonio uh, moniker like a badge of honor because I know that we have to approach it differently. Has that kind of like reflected in the attitude and the, the spirit of geekdom? Oh, absolutely. I think that, well, also, I think a couple of things, when, when you acknowledge that you're not the big guys, it forces you to do a couple of things. The first thing it does is it forces you to really double down on the things that you're good at. You know, my branding mentor would always say, you can only be famous for one thing, for something very specific. And so you really have to look at yourself, have an honest conversation and say, well, what are we good at? And what I realized is that Rackspace, you know, the military, all of the things that we have, cybersecurity, all the things that San Antonio has, I really call it the plumbing of the internet. Like that's what we're, that's what we're famous for. But that's not really sexy. But you know what is sexy? Being number one. And I thought, you know, managed hosting, I still can't explain to my mother what it is. And so I would just say, yeah, mom, it's kind of the plumbing of the internet. Just tell everyone I work for the internet and we'll call it a day. But the people that Rackspace hired were just as high, the skill set was just as high as a Google or a Facebook, right? But it was just, we were working behind the scenes. And I think that when we doubled down on that infrastructure tech or the plumbing of tech, whatever you want to call it, that's when we really um, accelerated everything we were doing because we weren't trying to be something that we're not. And you, when you double down on the things that you already are world-class in, then you start creating this gravitational pull because it's really authentic and it's really true. And so I think that San Antonio had to have a hard look. We have, we, and we still do. Also, one of the things that hurts us is our brand. I think that our storytelling and our brand as a city is really terrible because when I say San Antonio to anyone else, oh. I, you, you, you say the Alamo, right? Yeah. And I'll tell you right now, when you go to the Alamo, the river walk, right? No local is in that part of the river walk that you see on TV. And the other thing, family town, and it's not known for young single people. And these are all very bad, not bad, but these are all brands that work against us in the tech scene. And yeah. so we really have to go out of our way to show that you San Antonio. I don't want to turn this into Indianapolis versus San Antonio because <laughs> everything that you said is true. And then Indianapolis, like San Antonio, and really I've seen a lot from Texas and people will spit take and go, what is the humility? Like, I, I, I know that there's like, everything's bigger in Texas, but I also, I also notice a lot of humbleness and not aw shucks. Like when it comes to state pride and then your sports teams, yeah, but I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I see that in San Antonio as well as like, you guys aren't necessarily boastful either, so. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, I call it the Greg Popovich uh, effect, which is, you know. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's like, oh, you know, I don't want to talk about that. You know, you know, for, you know, forget the five rings. Let's talk about, you know, we missed, we missed our free throws. And I think that, and I think I love it because it really is, it sets the tone of, hey, you know, we don't, we don't brag. But I think that one of the, the, the bad parts of it is that we also don't tell our story very well. And we don't, and I think that we should really market and celebrate the things that we are number one or superlative in. And we don't, and I think that's the downside of the humbleness. But I think that the other thing that, that we like is that I would, I, I would replace humble with another word. And I would say relational, which is I, I lived in London for three years when I worked at Rackspace and big cities, I love them, but they just seem very transactional. So when you meet someone, it's, hey, let's get to the thing. What do you need from me? What can I get from you? Whereas in San Antonio, it's like, oh my God, Don, I heard your mother broke her leg. How is she? 
What hospital is she in? Can you give me the room number? I'd love to send her a little note. And in San Antonio, you cannot skip that part of the relationship. Uh, to get to business because that's just who we are. And I just like, I, I say, we're, we're kind of third gear. We stroll, we don't run. Yeah. I, I, man, do I echo those sentiments? As a matter of fact, I, I think that replacing big city with just um, distractibility. Uh, yeah. I, I see so many kids that are hurting their relationships because they don't look up. Yes. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and I, um, and actually that'll lead me to my next question. How, how are you trying to mold the culture of geekdom to where it is collaborative? Because, you know, you, you read reports that sometimes, you know, co-working spaces and they giggle because no one's collaborating. Everybody's in their own separate area and they don't actually look up and engage. How are you, you know, how are you creating that culture there at geekdom? Yeah, I think there's a couple things. I also, I think that anybody that truly sets out to create a collaborative environment is always going to have to obsess about it. And they're always going to have to be watching the soft metrics. And I'll explain that uh, in a minute. But I think that a kind of a couple things, the first thing that our founder, Nick Longo, did when he started Geekdom, which I think was a stroke of brilliance, is that he he issued a, uh, um, I guess, a core value or a rule that we never monitored because you couldn't. And he said, every member is required to give an hour of their time a week to another member. And there's no way to track it. It's impossible to track. But what he was really saying is, we expect this community to be helpful. We expect you to be a helpful community. And that is the nature of our community. And if you are not responding in a helpful way, then you are going to be ostracized by the community. And it was just, it was so brilliant because everyone was looking and people would come to me and they'd be, they'd feel guilty. Like, Hey, I haven't given back. And I, and I don't know how, and you know, I, and they, they had this sense of urgency, like I need to give back. And I really love that people were always thinking about that. And so it really, but it, it set the tone. We're here to be helpful. And I think that was really great. The other thing that he did was um, very rarely do I get to see where architecture and design help things you know, kind of the intangibles. And so when we designed the space of geekdom, we designed a lot of open community areas um, and the, and the best views, cause we're in an eight story old historic building in downtown San Antonio and the best views in our co-working space are not offices. They're open community space for everybody to enjoy them. And so I think that we did a lot of, there was a lot of thoughtful design in how to help people um, collaborate. I always love to quote Tony Shea in the downtown project because they're what, you know, what he says is we are trying to facilitate the serendipitous collision of ideas. And I think that everything we do at Geekdom is trying to figure out how do we have the members collide with other members. And I'll tell you to your point, Don, I would rather get the complaint that we're too loud than we're too quiet because no one is going to, the next game changing idea will not happen in a library. It'll happen in a lively environment. So our job is to create spaces where people can go and get stuff done. But the majority of our space is designed for it to be open so that people can collaborate with each other. Oh man. I love that. I, I, I got to get you down here to Indy and you observe yeah, and see the class in action because uh, ironically enough, we've kind of overtaken the library. I'm in a, I'm a all glass room that's attached to the library and we kind of filter out and, and, and what I've loved is, is that the school has been okay with the library is no longer quiet. Right. Right. It's, you know, we, a matter of fact, I think among the most important things we've bought our most important technology we've purchased for the library, it's tons of rolling whiteboards. 
Yes. And, uh, and even getting uh, other teachers and other classes to come down and have room to move and, and uh, collaborate and, and, and like just brainstorm great ideas. You know, what's funny down about what you're saying. I I went to, when I first took over Geekdom, I went to San Francisco and I, I visited, you know, 10 co-working spaces and I was just there to learn, you know, because grandma always says we need to go and we need to go to school on things. And I was unfamiliar with co-working, so I went to school. And there was this one, I think it was called Hatch, the Hatch Space in, uh, in uh, South Market. And this woman gave me a tour. She was the owner, and she was just brilliant. And she had this one area where there was like 20 people. And she had said, you see that, that company over there, Lorenzo? Yes, ma'am. She goes, I'm never going to do this again. And I said, what do you mean? She goes, well, that's one company. And she goes, and let me tell you why I'm never going to do that. The first thing is they're leaving next week and they're going to go, you know, sublease with Spotify. She goes, but when you, when a company exceeds a certain amount of people, they are not here to do what those two guys are doing over there. And she pointed to two guys on whiteboards and they were whiteboarding, you know, furiously and, and, and ideating. And she said, once you get to a certain point, the people come in to work and they're tapping on their keyboard and then they go home. I need the small companies that are here to ideate because that's where the energy is and my place thrives off energy. And so I have to put a limit on what those, on the size of the companies, if I want to maintain the energy. And I came back to San Antonio and I said, I know what our number is. It's less than 10. We will not have a company, very few companies that are more than uh, 10 people. And as soon as a company gets to 10, we start going and pitching real estate people to come give them space in other places downtown. Um, And it's because of this whiteboarding effect that you talked about, Donna, because when people see the whiteboard effect happening, they don't know it, but subconsciously they realize that they're in the presence of creation and the presence of creativity. And that is exciting energy. to Yep. Yep. You can feel it. No, absolutely. You can feel it. Absolutely. And, and then I, and then ironically on the other extreme, I'm also begging any of my students, don't be the lone wolf. Don't be the solopreneur because you just, you lack, you lack right. the energy, you lack the accountability and all that good stuff. Well, I, Lorenzo, I, uh, as well, I was promised you'd be a great interview and daggone it. He was right. And, uh, <laughs> Appreciate you you being on the show. Again, the book was Cilantro Diaries. You can find it on Amazon. Um, chocked full of stories just like this and a lot of great lessons. Um, you can also go to, well, actually, you can say all these things. You can go to geekdom.com and see what they're all about. Um, Want to give a quick pitch what 8020 Foundation is? Yeah, so the 8020 Foundation is uh, the, the private foundation of Graham Wesson. And our, we're, we really invest in 501c3 charities in three areas, which is kind of uh, the revitalization of downtown um, San Antonio, STEM education and entrepreneurship. And so every year we're looking for really amazing nonprofits that help accelerate our mission. And uh, we just we have some great programs. We funded a tech-only uh, entrepreneurship high school that's moved into the downtown tech district. Uh, we have one of the most exciting internship programs in the country called Students Plus Startups, uh, where we underwrite students' housing, half of their pay for the summer, and we uh, recruit startups to come hire them and pay them the other half. And so we've, we've uh, got some really cool things going on that the foundation is doing, and we're really excited about them. Awesome. And then uh, any other places they can find you? What, LinkedIn, Twitter, where you want them? Yeah, where yeah, you want yeah, check yeah. it out. Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Lorenzo Gomez, you can find me. Um, I'm the, uh, I'm the, the bald, the bald, the shaved head guy with a very disheveled beard. Well, again, man, I, I, I appreciate the energy. I appreciate the passion. But uh, more importantly, I love the storytelling. This is, uh, this has been a lot of fun. And, and I, I look forward to, um, 
you know, working with you in the future. And uh, just I'm excited about where, where things are headed for you guys. No, thanks so much, Don. I'm super pumped and I'm, I'm honored to be on the podcast and, and appreciate everything that you're doing. So keep it up. Thank you.